0: Thank you for listening to the Riverbend Church podcast. Riverbend Church exists to lead all people to know, love, and live new life in Jesus Christ. We hope that you enjoy this message. Hey, welcome. Good morning. Everybody okay? Welcome to church. Oakwood, we're grateful you're here with us. Uh, Online community, grateful you're here with us too, wherever you're watching from. Maybe you're at the beach uh, soaking in the sun. We hope you enjoy that. We're grateful that you're with us. Thank you for being here today. Gainesville as well. We we have an awesome day in store. I'm so excited about what God is doing here. My name's Jared and uh, I'll be here helping helping lead, helping teach in this season. If I haven't met you, I'd love to. We have a great team here, a great team of pastors, great team of of people that are that are willing to serve the Lord in this season. It's, it's really awesome to see. I I truly am, am still taken back by how many volunteers you have at Riverbend Church. It's really awesome. I see the shirts, you matter, they're all over the place. And how about the donuts? Anybody grateful for the donuts? It, yeah, okay. We got an exciting day in store. You see the baptismal pool behind me. That's, that is the most exciting thing we do here. Anybody agree with me that we get to, yeah, a few of us? Mm. You can't see it but it's gonna happen at the second service. So if you wanna stick your head in through the back or something maybe at the end uh, or after, after our time together when we get into the 11 o'clock, that's where we're going to enjoy uh, celebrating death to life. You know, when we celebrate baptism, we see a public declaration of what Jesus has done on the inside of the people that are in those waters. It's a declaration to the world where these people are going to say later today, and so many of you who have gone through the baptismal waters, you're declaring to the world, I am not the same. I'm a new creation because of Jesus. My old life has been crucified with him and buried. And when you came up out of that water, you're saying, I've been raised to walk in newness of life. Newness of of life Jesus has changed my life that's the declaration that we get to celebrate later today and Jesus does change lives that's what we're going to talk about today i wonder if if your life has been changed i wonder if you're different because of knowing jesus i looked up the word change in the dictionary webster's you know Commonly, it's a, it's a well-known dictionary, right? I, I wonder, I wish I could meet Webster or Miriam or whatever his name is. I wanna meet him, Miriam, I don't know. I looked up this word change in the dictionary and there were two, the first two di- dictionary definitions that came up. I found it interesting that they were very different because this word change can mean different things. It's, it's one word, but it's broad. The first definition that I saw when I looked it up was to make different or to alter, to adjust, to alter, to make it different. But the second definition was another level, to make radically different, to transform. So change can be little change, little alteration, Or change can be transformation. And today, from the top, I wanna make it clear that we're talking about the second type of change because God doesn't merely alter who you are when he touches you. When he touches someone, they are made radically different. And I've been challenged this week as I've been studying You may say, well, you say that every week. Yeah, because I'm challenged every week. I wonder if we're coming to church looking for an upgrade, looking for an alteration like I do when I go to the suit tailor and I want my suit to fit a little better. Just a little alteration. Can you take a little bit out from under this arm? That's getting a little loose, God, God. I wonder if we're coming to church looking for an alteration or if we're coming here to be touched by him, to encounter him, to be in his presence and to walk out radically different. It's two types of changes. One of the clearest verses in scripture about change is 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You know it very well. That anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, change transformation the old is gone the new life has begun that's what we're going to see in these waters later today well some of us will see it I know but that's what that is old life is gone new life has begun transformation changes have been made but not just little alterations like it's a total transformation from the inside out I wonder if we are settling for alterations when God wants transformation. Just to have a little fun, before we dive in together, I found the story of a man who dialed a wrong number and he got the answering machine of this man. that He didn't recognize the voice on the other end. And that voicemail greeting said, I'm not available right now, but I thank you for calling and I thank you for caring enough to call. I'm making some changes in my life. Please leave a message after the beep. And if I don't return your call, you will know that you are one of those changes that I'm making <laughs> it's not what you want to hear on the other end. <laughs> As we've looked at Saul's conversion story over the past several weeks, and I know we took some, some time off from this, and last week, my uncle, Scott Cagle, uh, was up here bringing the word, and uh, he didn't correct himself when he said nephew, so I'm not correcting myself when I say uncle. I will claim him absolutely. He did a great job. The week before that, Pastor Preston Graham was up here delivering the word. And then the week before that, Greg Peck, Pastor Greg Peck from across the uh, highway or whatever we say down there in Oakwood was delivering a word for us on July 2nd. And we've taken a few weeks here in the summer and we've been scattered in this story. But if you remember, we spent a great deal of time here in chapter nine talking about Saul's conversion story Saul, who later would be known as Paul, who wrote letters like the letter to the Corinthians, and we, when when we study his story, we see that he was radically changed. He wasn't just an alteration in his life; it was. A radical change. And everybody knew it. It was obvious. In fact, it was one of the more obvious in all of scripture. So obvious that people didn't believe it. Like this man was killing Christians before. And now he's converting people to become Christians. This man was persecuting Christians. Punishing Christians before. And now he's preaching about Jesus. Total 180. 180. Total transformation. From a human perspective, the trouble with changing is you have a reputation. Have you ever wished that you could just start over and wipe the slate clean and maybe get some new friends that didn't know you when? That's the trouble. That's the hard part about changing because when you change, you have this reputation people expect. You have this past that people expect sometimes we I'm afraid run from that reality run from that reputation run from that past or try to hide it in order to wipe the slate clean and live a new life and live a changed life because from a human perspective it's tough to change when you have a reputation but from God's perspective the weaker your reputation the stronger his power will be seen in your life. We're diluting our testimony of its power and potency when we polish our story to preserve our reputation. But I think you'll be shocked by the strength that you find when you're vulnerable, when you're transparent, and when you show God's grace through your life and you don't hide behind who you were or you don't hide from who you were. Paul had to own who he was. There's was no hiding it, the, the world knew his story. In fact, it was published for all to see. It's, it's been published for all these years for all the world to see. He owned it. And he had a story to tell that was powerful because he owned it. Acts chapter 22, Paul is speaking to the Jewish council in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 22 verse three. We'll just be here for a moment. And this is what he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but I was brought up in this city and educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. And look at verse four, I persecuted this way. I persecuted the way of Jesus. And even to the death, binding and delivering to prison, both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear witness, you all can see this was my life. This is what I did. This is who I was. I even received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. I was on the way to do more of what I had been doing. I was on the way to take the leaders of this party, the leaders of this movement back to Jerusalem and punish them when God intersected my story. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, just really quickly here, verse eight. This is Paul as well. Last of all, he said, as to one untimely born, Jesus also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles. I am unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. This is who I am. I know who I am. This is, this is, excuse me, who I was. I know who I was. I know what I did. And I'm unworthy because of that don't deserve this because of that but look at verse 10 but by the grace of God I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain by the grace of God I am what I am I stand here today in this calling in this purpose and his grace toward me was not in vain because what he touches, he transforms. What he touches, he makes radically different. And Paul comes and says, in all of, in all of his humility, I own it. I, I was this, but now I'm this. And look at God's grace. Because you see, when we hide our past, or we try to make it prettier or more polished than it actually was, aren't we diluting the power of God's grace to bring us from there to where we are. Go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter nine, where we're gonna be spending the rest of our time together. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen just a quick recap as you're turning to Acts chapter 9, Paul, Saul at the time was on the way to Damascus to kill more Christians as we've just said and Jesus stopped him in his tracks and caused him to go blind and for three days Saul was in darkness. For three days he was in that, something about three days in darkness and then God sends a man named Ananias to go lay hands on Saul. Preston covered this a, a few weeks ago. But when Ananias got there, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Spirit. And then in verse 18, he said, it, it says, Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Immediately. And then he rose. And was baptized. And taking food he was strengthened. And for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And then look at verse 20. These are the three verses we're going to be spending most of our time together. Verses 20 through 22. And immediately. There's that word again. Immediately. Another translation says straight away. Straight to the point. Cut into the chase immediately. What did he do? He proclaimed Jesus in the church. He proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? Isn't this the guy? That we were watching persecute the church. And has he not come here for this purpose? To bring them bound from the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength. And confounded the Jews. Dumbfounded. Perplexed. Surprised the Jews who lived in Damascus. By proving that Jesus was the Christ. We're gonna study here Saul's first sermons. That immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues and, and his message was quite simple. He is the son of God. He is the son of God. What about this word immediately? Immediately. What did he immediately do? What would you have immediately done? What would I have immediately, after this miracle, after this total life transformation, what, what would my immediate response have been? He immediately began to proclaim Jesus. He immediately preached Jesus. He didn't immediately rise to a leadership position, I wonder if I was in there, if I was in his shoes. I was thinking about this this week. I wonder if if I were to be in Saul's shoes and this would have happened to me on the road to Damascus and my eyes would have been opened and all of this. and, And I knew the Bible because I'd been studying the Old Testament my entire life. I wonder if I would have walked up in there with confidence and said, all right, it's time. I need a position. I hope not. But I wonder, I'm the guy. He didn't do that. He just began to proclaim Jesus. He wouldn't take a leadership position for years. Can I tell you that you don't need a leadership position to serve Can I tell you that you don't need a leadership position to proclaim Jesus, to preach Jesus, to talk about Jesus, to say what he's done in your life? Can I tell you that this is one of the biggest disconnects, I think, in our modern church movement is we think that the person up here is the only one who can talk about this because the person up here is the only one qualified to use the right words and not mess up? Disconnect. Saul was just transformed. He was going the opposite direction. He was teaching the opposite thing. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus. Immediately. He didn't make excuses, even though he had plenty of excuses to make. He could have said, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I've got the knowledge, but I'm not ready. I don't have the track record yet. He could have said, they won't believe me. Why should they listen to me? They know where I've been. They know who I was. Why should they listen to me? I'm not going to get up here and make a fool of myself. He didn't make those excuses. He didn't let what the other people thought determine his obedience. And I think this is a key point for us to take away today. Don't let what other people think of you determine how you obey Christ. He immediately preached Jesus. And what was his message? It's very simple. He is the son of God. He is. He is the Son of God. How amazing is it that Saul's last words before he went blind, remember when he was on the road and he was struck with this bright light and he fell down? His last words were, or his, his sorry, his first words were, Who are you, Lord? His first words were that question. And then his first words after conversion were, the answer to that question, he is the son of God. You may say, is that, is that all he preached? Because that, it, it's awful simple. And they were in awe of that. They were amazed by that. They were confounded by that. Yes. Because this was a clear and profound message to the Jewish audience. This is ultimately Jesus being the son of God is ultimately what separates him from any other God. This is what separates Christianity from any other religion. That he is God. That he's fully God and fully man. This is what The ancients have been trying to tear down about our movement, our our belief in Jesus. If this is both central and crucial to our faith, that Jesus is, in fact, God. He could not save sinners as simply a great man. No great man could pay the ultimate price for sin. God in flesh was the only way for salvation to be accomplished. And Saul had been teaching the exact opposite of that. He'd been leading in the exact opposite way. And now he's preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. His whole life was built on rising the ranks of the Jewish tradition. Think about how powerful these words were coming out of this man's mouth because they knew where he had been and they hear him now. He'd been made radically different. I can't imagine what the Jews were thinking when they were listening to him. This powerful leader, this proud man is now standing before us humble and meek and unapologetically humble at that giving up all of his worldly advantages everything that he's built and earned he's given it up for what for the sake of Christ Paul would later say for I counted all as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and all who were amazed, all who heard were amazed. And they said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem? Is this not the same guy? And put yourself in their shoes for a moment. Is this not the same guy who, who killed my best friend, Stephen? Stephen? This is not the same guy who stood on the hill and presided over the stoning of my best friend. This didn't happen that long before. I remember it very well. How am I to stand here now and believe that he is a different person? And how many other personal examples were there like this one of Stephen? If I were one of the disciples, I would have been tempted to take matters into my own hands. How can it be? This can't be the same guy. But it was the same guy. We say, whoa, whoa, whoa." we're talking about new creation. What do you mean he's the same guy? The old life is gone, the new life is here. But what God has brought you from proves his grace to the world we don't hide from where we've been we rest in God's power because of where he's brought us Saul had been touched by Jesus he had been touched by love Himself, Because God is love. God doesn't just have love or show love. He is love. And, and Paul had encountered love himself. There's this beautiful poem written by Myra Brooks Welch. And I hope you'd stay with me through this. There's some old language. The first word is twas. And I don't, just, just stick with me. I know it, it's, it means it was. It's a contraction, it's old. There's some old language in here, but stick with me. It's called The Touch of the Master's Hand. It was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it wasn't even worth his while. To waste much time on the old violin, but he held it up with a smile. What's the bid, good people? He cried, who will start the bidding for me? A dollar, a dollar, now two, only two, two dollars, and who will make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three, but no. From the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening up the strings, he played a melody pure and sweet, as sweet as an angel sings. The music ceased and the auctioneer with a voice that was quiet and low said, what shall we bid for the old violin as he held it up with the bow? A thousand dollars and who'll make it two, two, 2,000 and who'll make it three, 3,000 once, 3,000 twice, 3,000 and gone said he, the people cheered, but some exclaimed, we do not quite understand what changed its worth. And the answer came, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with a soul out of tune and battered and scarred by sin is auctioned cheap by the thoughtless crowd just like the old violin. But the master comes and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is brought by the touch of the master's hand. Oh, master, I am the tuneless one. Please lay your hand on me. Transform me now. Put a song in my heart of melody, Lord, to thee. The crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is brought by the touch of the master's hand. This is not an alteration. When you're touched by love, it's transformation. It's radically different. And Saul's story reminds us God makes people radically different. And it reminds us even deeper than that 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 he saves even some that aren't looking for him at all. Saul was going the opposite direction. He wasn't looking for Jesus at all. Jesus stopped him in his tracks and touched him. Can I tell you today, I don't want you to leave here without knowing that you are not too far gone. You're not too far gone. But how, you know? Jared, you don't know. You don't know what's there. You don't know what's there. You don't know what was last night, Jared. You don't know what was this weekend. can I be saved? How could I be revived? How could I be? I've been struggling with this for years and years and years and years. I've been praying. I'm done praying because it's not working. How could I be restored? How could I be healed? How can I be free from the bonds of addiction? How can I be revived from this depression that I've been in? What must I do to be touched by the master today? Maybe you're asking that question. It's a good question. I want to look at one final story. It's a story that was told in the gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke give this account of a woman who had an issue of blood. Maybe you've read this story. This is a devastating condition for 12 years. The blood was continuous and it'd be devastating today, but it was certainly devastating then because she would have been considered unclean and she would have been outcasted. And Jesus is making his way through a crowd actually on his way to heal a 12-year-old dying girl. The crowd is pressing in around him. Everyone's packed around him because they don't want to miss what's going to happen next. You never know with Jesus. You never know. And in Luke's account of this story, in Luke chapter 8, verse 43, there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. I've tried it. I spent my money on what the world has to offer me. I spent, I tried every physician. I tried every hope. I'm to the end of my rope now. How could I ever be healed? And She came up behind Jesus and she touched the fringe of his garment, just the end of it. And immediately, her discharge of blood ceased immediately. There's that word again. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? Who was it? Somebody touched me. In a crowd that's pressing in around him, of course somebody touched him. But the word says that she didn't even touch him. She touched the fringe of his garment, which surely that would have touched all kinds of things. Jesus, what are you talking about? There's people all over the place. Peter said, crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. What are you talking about? Jesus said, someone touch me for I perceive that power has gone out from me. <laughs> That's a whole nother sermon. You think he was confused about somebody touching him? No, he was asking that question to teach the crowd about faith. To teach the crowd how they could experience the same thing. Maybe they don't have the same issue. Maybe you don't have the same issue. Chances are you don't, but you have some things that are holding you back, some conditions, something. And Jesus, the same God who is intimate enough to intersect this woman's story is also the same God who uses it as an opportunity to let the crowd know that he is there And that they can have faith in him as well. And when you have faith in him, everything changes. When the woman saw that she was not hidden, this is verse 47, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. She did not hide. Imagine how hard that was to stand before the crowd and say, I've had an issue of blood for 12 years. Many of you didn't know that. I've been trying to hide it. Many of you did know that. And I know that it makes me unclean and I know the tradition and and I've, I've been trying everything. I know, I've been trying everything. And here I am, trying one last thing because I heard about this man named Jesus. And when I touched the fringe of his garment, immediately I stopped bleeding. And look at what Jesus said to her in verse 48. Daughter. Daughter. First word, relational. Daughter, family. It's your faith that has made you well. Go in peace. What do we take away from this? Today, we're going to take away one thing. On another day, if I had time, I'd give you at least 12 from that just little part of scripture. But today, we got time for one. And the one thing I want you to take away from this is faith is the gateway. Faith. Faith. Daughter, it was your faith that made you well. Touching him, didn't unlock the healing. It, it, it wasn't, there was something magical about touching him. The, it, it was the faith. Faith was the gateway. Love was the power. And this is good news for us today because some of you are so paralyzed by your past and stuck in your sin that you can't even contemplate getting close enough to Jesus to reach out and touch his garment can I tell you today it's not about reaching it's not about making your way there it wasn't about that for this woman on this day it was about her faith it's about our faith today this is good news This is good news because we can't earn it, we can't climb it, we can't get there on our own, but He's done it all already, and faith in Him is what will save, faith in Him is what will heal, faith in Him is what will restore, faith in Him is what will revive, Faith is the gateway. And you can be made new today. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe that Jesus is the son of God. The only begotten of the father. He was not created. He has no beginning and he has no end. No one could take his life. He laid it down on his own accord. And as he laid down his life for you, for me, The sacrifice was enough so that all who believed in him that had faith in his name would be able to put on his righteousness and that when God would look down on you because of your faith in Jesus he doesn't see your filthy rags from your past he sees the righteousness of Christ Jesus is the son of God, and Jesus is the Christ, Paul proved. The Messiah, the one who had been sent to fulfill all of God's promises. The Bible says that all of his promises find their yes and amen in Jesus. And by faith in his name, you can be made new today. God isn't here to give you an alteration He's here to make you radically different. And it's not his power that's in question. What's in question is our submission. The Bible says that as Saul increased in strength, he confounded the Jews. By proving that Jesus was the Christ. They were confounded. They were surprised. They were stunned. They were confused by his transformation. People who knew you before Christ. Will be confused. By your transformation. Don't fall into the temptation. Of watering down. Who you are. Because they expect you to be more like who you used to be. Don't water down the transformation that God has brought in your life just because you're afraid of what other people will think. I'm challenged, I am challenged and I wanna give you my challenge. do other people have more power over my actions than Jesus does? Who has more authority? Because when other people have more authority, I'm more interested in an alteration. Because I want the suit to fit just a little better. I don't want it to be totally transformed. I want the outside to fit. I don't want the inside to be made new. When other people have more power over me. When other people are my Authority, But if this message is true, that Jesus is the son of God, if it's true that he did what he said he was going to do, if it's true that he accomplished the work of salvation, and he alone deserves the glory for that. If this is true, if he died, was buried and rose again on the third day and has been risen into heaven to reign forevermore, if it's true, And if I believe it to be true, then what other response do I have but to bow my soul before him in submission every day, to seek his grace humbly every day, to accept his salvation for me in surrender. I'm not trying to earn it myself anymore. It's your glory that's due. You alone have accomplished my salvation. What more response do I have but to acknowledge his authority and to follow him? To follow him. To follow him. To follow him forsaking all others with Christ as my authority. Oakwood, we love you. Pastor Greg, you can take it from here. We'll see you real soon. As we consider the word today, I want to invite you to to take some time as we sing one more song. Take some time in prayer with God. Take some, some time to bow your soul before him under his authority and ask him to reveal to you what he's speaking. Father God in heaven, we're here for you. We're here for you only. We got a lot of things going on, but right now, these moments are for you and I pray that you help us to focus on you ultimately and completely. And I pray that as we focus on you, that all else would fade away pray that we would be radically different from our encounter with the king of kings the lord of lords the author of life help us to trust you in jesus name amen thank you for listening to the riverbend church podcast To learn more about who we are as a church and how to connect, you can head over to our website, riverbendchurch.life.